0: Please visit jcastnetwork.org.
1: Welcome to Daily DAF Differently. This is Joe Rosenstein, and I am a professor of mathematics at Rutgers University and the author of Sidur Eidvatzon and Machzor Eidvatzon. Today we will be studying Tractate Nazir, DAF 7, Zion. This Tractate, Masechet Nazir, deals with men and women who make a vow to abstain from wine and all grape products, to refrain from cutting their hair, and to avoid contact with all dead bodies, so that they don't become tame or ritually impure. These requirements of a Nazir appear in Chapter 6 of Numbers, Bamidbar. We provided an explanation of these three requirements. The Nazir is a person who wants to offer himself or herself to God, which since human sacrifices is forbidden, can only be accomplished by offering one's hair to God. Not only must the Nazir refrain from cutting his or her hair in order to bring it as an offering to God, the Nazir must also guard that hair to prevent it from becoming ritually impure through contact with a corpse. And like the Kohen, must avoid the fruit of the wine while he or she is on duty, which for the Nazir is 24-7. On the previous daf we learned that if a person vows to be a Nazir without specifying the term of his or her Nazirut, that is how long he or she will be a Nazir, that that, then that term is automatically 30 days. Curiously, if the person vows to be a Nazir, Specifically for 30 days, then the Nizirut is 30 full days, and the closing ceremony called Hitkalachat, when his or her hair is cut and then burned on the altar of the temple, is on the 31st day. If, on the other hand, the person didn't specify a 30 day Nizirut, then the Hitkalachat can take place on the 30th day, since, as we discussed yesterday, the morning of the 30th day qualifies as a full day, and so the closing ceremony can be in the afternoon. We also learned that a person can specify any term of more than 30 days for his or her nazirut, so that, for example, if the person said, I vow to be a nazir for 123 days, then the term of his or her nazirut would be 123 days. As noted above, you could vow to be a Nazir for 31 days, and your Nazirut would last for 31 days. But according to the second Mishnah on today's daf, if you vowed to be a Nazir and to have an extra day as a Nazir, then this was considered two vows, and you had two 30-day terms as a Nazir. Even if you vowed to be a Nazir and to have an extra hour as a Nazir, you had two 30-day terms. If a person wanted to be a Nazir for 45 days, the appropriate vow should be, I vow to be a Nazir for 45 days. But if the actual vow is, I vow to be a Nazir and to have an extra half term as a Nazir, then this is considered two vows, and the person has to have two 30-day terms as a Nazir. Thus, although it may have seemed far-fetched for us to have discussed a person with two periods of nizirut on yesterday's daf, we see now how it have come, could have come about that a person would have been obligated to two terms as a nazir. According to the third Mishnah on today's daf, the length of the nizirut had to be a whole number of days. Thus, if a person vowed to be a nazir for 30 days and an hour, the nizirut would have to be 31 full days. Contrast this with what we mentioned moments ago. If the person vowed to be a nazir, and have an extra hour as a nazir, then there will be two full terms as a nazir. As we've seen many times when it comes to vows, you have to be very careful with your wording. The remainder of Daf 7 and of Daf 8, chet, which we will study tomorrow, both deal with the question of how long is the nazirut. If the person adds something to his vow about the duration of the nazirut, without mentioning a precise number of days. The Mishnah goes into much detail on this topic, and the discussion of the Gemara on these two pages is relatively brief. For example, the first Mishnah on Daf 7 teaches that if someone says, I vow to have a long nizirut," or I vow to have a short nizirut," that person's nizirut is for the default 30 days. There's not an inf- enough information in the vow to make any other determination for the length of the nazirut. The Mishnah continues, even if the person vows to be a nazir, quote, for as long as it takes to get to the end of the earth, that person's nazirut is also 30 days, since they don't know how long it takes to get to the end of the earth. The Gemara suggests that this person should be a nazir for life, because that's how long it takes to get to the end of the earth. They respond that this is just a figure of speech, indicating that it's a great and perhaps distasteful distance. A figure of speech that found its way into Yiddish, where one says that some place is so remote as if it were in der erd afenek, at the edge of the earth. The Gemara now compares the above Mishnah to one on tomorrow's daf, where the person also uses a distance to define his nizirut. A person says, I vow to be a nazir as long as it takes to get from here to such and such a place. In that case, the Mishnah says, they estimate the number of days it takes to get to that place. If that is less than 30 days, then his nizirut is for 30 days. If the distance is more than 30 days, then his nizirut is for that many days. Shouldn't that mission apply when someone refers to going to the end of the earth? The Gemara responds with a statement by Rabba. In the mission on the next page, he made the vow as he was beginning an actual journey to an actual location, so that the Nazirut was linked to an actual trip. On the other hand, in the mission on this page, his vow about being a Nazir until reaching the end of the earth seems not to be linked to an actual trip, and therefore doesn't give us enough information to determine how long his planned trip will take. As a result, his nizirut lasts for the default period of 30 days. Anticipating another discussion on the next daft, the Gemara asks, shouldn't someone who vows to be a nazir for the duration of a trip be expected to be obligated for a separate nizirut for each stage of the trip? And it responds, in the case of our Mishnah, the person who has already said that he intends to have a single Nazirut. Over the past week, we have asked a number of times whether the, whether the tradition approves or disapproves of the Nazir. So I, I would like to spend a few minutes addressing this question, even though it does not apparently arise in today's daf. I use the word apparently intentionally, because this stuff, and all the others we have seen, manifest an intense interest in the mechanism of Nazirut, but no apparent interest in the purpose of Nazirut. The institution of the Nazir was apparently important in biblical times, even though we can find no example of a Nazir in the Bible except for Samson, who, have we has, who as we have seen, belonged to a separate category of Nazir. How do we know that the Nazir was apparently important in biblical times? Well, the Bible devotes essentially a whole chapter, chapter 6 of Bamidbar, numbers to discussing the law related to the Nazir. Moreover, the prophet Amos rebukes the Israelites with the following words, I raised some of your sons to be prophets and some of your young men to be Nazirim. Did I not do that for you, children of Israel, says Adonai? But you made the Nazirim drink wine, and you told the prophets not to prophesy. Evidently, Amos puts the Nazir in the same category as the prophet, the same category to which he belonged. Evidently, he felt that the existence of Nazirim kept the Israelites on an appropriate ethical course, one that involves doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Those words are of course from Nica, not from Amos. And the author of Lamentations, usually ascribed to Prophet Jeremiah, speaking of Jerusalem, notes that Zaku Nazirehami Sheleg, its Nazirim were purer than snow. Perhaps the Nazirim were seen as righteous people, who by their very existence sustained the world a view that was later translated to the Lamedvobniks, 36 anonymous souls whose existence sustains the world. In the Septuagint translation of the Bible into Greek in the second century before the Common Era, the vow of the Nazir was referred to as nether gadol, a great vow, the ultimate vow. And Josephus and philo Judaeus spoke positively about Nazirim during the first century. However, after the temple was destroyed in 70 of the Common Era, the institution of Nazir disappeared, since the completion of the Nazir's term of Nizirut had to take place at the temple. The description of the Nazir in Chapter 6 of Bamidbar of was closely related to the sacrificial system of the temple. The authors of the Mishnah had never seen a Nazir, and the section of the Mishnah that discusses the Nazir has few statements about the Nazir, that date from Temple times, at least not in the first chapter. Perhaps the rabbis of the Mishnah didn't appreciate the role of the Nazir in early days. On Dach 2, we saw a statement by Rabbi Yudha Nasi, the author of the Mishnah, that suggests that becoming a Nazir was a way of giving up alcohol. On Dach 3, we saw a suggestion that a Nazir was a sinner. On Daf 4, we saw a suggestion that the Nazir violates the Torah by foregoing wine and grape juice on Shabbat and festivals. And this whole chapter, you've not heard anyone say anything positive about a Nazir or about the institution of Nizirut. Now it is possible that the institution of Nizirut deteriorated over the centuries, that while originally the Nazir was a person who was consecrated to God, in later years becoming, becoming a Nazir meant making a bargain with God. Indeed, all of the examples cited in the Mishnah and Gemara of Nazirim seem to be in the latter category. It could also be that the institution of a default 30-day term of a Nazir, whenever that happened, allowed people to become short-term Nazirim, so that people who didn't really want to consecrate themselves to God could still become a Nazir for a relatively short term. This possibility might have encouraged the bargainers, and devalue those who really did want to devote themselves to God. It could be that the tradition of what it meant to be a Nazir was lost, that no one remembered that a Nazir was a person who wanted to offer himself or herself to God, but had to be satisfied with offering his or her hair instead, and committed to keeping that hair ritually pure by avoiding contamination with the dead and avoiding the fruit of the vine so that he or she became like a full-time Kohen for the period of Nizirut, fully committed to God while living his or her life. How do we know that this tradition was lost? No one in the Mishnah, Talmud, or subsequent or subsequent, subsequent scholars even mention it, until, as noted earlier, in 1997 by Rabbi Eliezer Diamond. And perhaps surprisingly, the rabbis of the Talmud who spent their lives trying to determine how God wanted us to behave, and who spent their lives consecrated to God, did not see themselves as the successors of the Nazir. In any case, we can answer the question of whether the Nazir was approved or disdained by the tradition. In the earlier years, the Nazir was approved, and in the later years, the Nazir was apparently disdained. Unfortunately, that disdain continues to the present day, when scholars and rabbis often compare the Nazir negatively to the sage.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.